Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe that it's not always what you say, but how you say it that matters. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, President and CEO of Tim McMurtry International LLC, a business consultancy specializing in personal development and training, government and public affairs, along with corporate and community relations. I'm delighted to have you join us today, and I thank you for your listenership and viewership of this show. Our aim on this platform is to discuss nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you maximize the impact and results of effective communication within your own personal spheres of influence, be it your business, be it relationships, family, workplace, or what have you. We're here to help you become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast, The Communication Guru Podcast, The Communication Guru Podcast, so that you can be notified when new episodes are released and available for public consumption. Now, the world of communication is vast and varied. However, despite its scope and range of expression and facilitation, some aspects of communication are universally applicable. Similar to music being hailed as the universal language, effective communication is also universally appreciated no matter the particulars of time and or space. So to help us underscore this notion, we are joined today by a very special guest who wears many distinguished hats. He serves as the Honorary Consulate to the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. In addition, he also serves as Vice President of Government Affairs at ComEd and has an extensive background in consumer services, governmental relations, and special interest lobbying. Please help me welcome to the show the Honorable Michael C. Fountain. Welcome to the show, my friend. I'm glad you could join us today. Tim, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And you, uh, boy, you really do a job with that intro. Now I have to live into that. So thank you for this moment. Appreciate you. Not a problem, brother. No pressure at all. So, 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 so to kind of kick things off, tell us a little bit more about how you ascended to your role as the Honorable Council, Counselor to the Bahamas, as well as what that role entails. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, <clears throat> before I get started, I, I want to extend greetings from not only um, the government and the people of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas to you and your viewers and listeners, Tim, but also uh, someone who I believe you're familiar with, Miss Bethina Weber, um, who wanted to say hello. Uh, I would indicate to you that Bethina was very helpful uh, after Hurricane Dorian struck the Bahamas in 2019. She made sure that uh, I had direct access to the Black community in Milwaukee which is a very strong community. And there were many folks I met. And I will tell you, spending time with uh, uh, Earl Ingram and being able to talk about what was going on at that point, Alderman Hamilton, Mayor Barrett, uh, President Royal of the NAACP, Lieutenant Governor Barnes, Congresswoman Moore, when when, uh, Bethina had me go to the NAACP dinner that year, as well as doing um, an informational dinner at the home of Faith Colas. That was very important. I'd had no previous connection to Milwaukee prior to that. And uh, her opening doors there, helped us do more for the Bahamian people that uh, we wouldn't have been able to do without that work. So she says, hello. And I wanted you to note that uh, the connection is strong. Uh, and Donovan made sure of that as well. Uh, that's why I, I had to say yes to this, because there is a direct relationship that I have uh, with the black community in Milwaukee. Awesome. Awesome. All rock stars that you name, familiar with all of them. Hey, 
<laughs> you know, so great, man. Thank you for that, that that shout out. That was very, very gracious and classy of you to do. Those are all stalwarts in our community, all doing great work to help advance, you know, not only the black community, but the city of Milwaukee, you know, as a whole. I'm glad we were able to make that connection with you to to build those bridges, man. So this is, I guess, fortuitous, man, almost prophetic <laughs> having you on the show. That's why I needed to be here, needed to be here. So to your question, Tim, um, this is a long and convoluted tale about how I came to the council post, which is one of the greatest honors in my life. Uh, but I, I will condense it and say, starting back in 1968, when my mother and father met in the Commonwealth. Uh, uh, at that point in the country, people, Black people in, in this nation were hearing about what was going on with other Black people seeking freedom. And uh, the Bahamas was on the road. And so my mother uh, worked for TWA and my father was, um, you know, you talk about wearing many hats. He certainly did that in the Bahamas. Um, and, and they met and I was born. And uh, that was a, a, a rocky relationship at best. And so he stayed in the Bahamas and my mother came back here. We moved to the west side of Chicago. And you grow up without a father on the west side of Chicago. It's something that you adjust to very quickly. My sister, my little sister, Christina, who is also the person who introduced me to Bethina, um, Christina was more open to the relationship with the father side of the family. And uh, as we got older, she would press and say, you got to meet them. You got to talk to them. They're great people. And I said, I don't, I don't need him. I don't need the family. I don't need any of that. I, I got what I need and I'm going to move forward. Then I turned 40. I had a divorce under my belt and three sons. And I didn't know anything about myself intrinsically, fundamentally. So I called her up and said, it's time. I got on the first thing smoking down in Nassau. And when that plane door opened and I, I smelled that air and I set foot on that soil, I started the journey. And I had the occasion to sit down with my father, who was probably over decades expecting this visit. And when it happened, he did the most unique and interesting thing uh, uh, for him. He just completely deflected. And instead of engaging a conversation about me or the past or, or his journey, he just started introducing me to family members, which was great. I, I, I wouldn't have really thought to ask that because uh, I was more focused on him and his story and why and all this. And uh, he introduced me to some really amazing human beings who I have come to love in a very short amount of time. One of those people, uh, my Uncle Pumpkin, Uncle Dennis, Uncle Pumpkin, as he's known um, around locally. And um, Pumpkin and I, it, it was it was a weird kind of thing because um, I could tell that he's kind of an arm's length guy as we fountains tends to but we, we tend to be that. And yet we stood in front of his house and had a three hour conversation. The next day he came to my hotel. And he just unexpectedly and said, we're going to take a trip and we're going to go up to what was what's known as the Fox Hill constituency to meet the then foreign minister uh, for whom he worked. And the foreign minister is a guy I recognized from my days in, in, in the political arena locally and in the state. It was the same guy, the same kind of conversation, the same mentality about uh, what it takes to to serve the people what it takes to put together a meaningful campaign, what it takes to hold elective office. I just knew the guy. And so we started talking. And uh, to, to bring this to a close, um, a, a, about a year later, as uh, and I had gone and traveled back and forth as I 
tried to establish relationships with the family and with folks in the Bahamas. I was sitting in in the office of, uh, of one of my organizations, and uh, and I, I realized that I probably could be of some benefit to him, to the Bahamian people locally, because I didn't see Bahamas flags flying. I didn't see a Bahamian restaurant. I didn't see an organized community like the Jamaicans or the Haitians or the Dominicans. I didn't see Bahamians anywhere. So I sent him a note and I said, you know, I've been thinking about this and maybe I could be assisted. He uh, he was in he was monitoring elections in Cameroon, West Africa, and he sent a note back within a half hour and said, you know, that's an interesting conversation. We should pursue it. About um, about three months later, we met and talked formally um, about what was going on in terms of their elections. And uh, within six months, he had invited me to the honorary council post, which was unprecedented. There had never been a representative of the Bahamas in Chicago uh, for the Midwestern United States. We had a two-year application process with the U.S. Department of State, and um, somehow it just wound up working out uh, through these uh, through these conversations, through this inquiry, and uh, and so we we made a little history with that. Wow, man, that's. That that that's quite a story. It was it was so much packed into that. I want to just do a, a, a quick version, right? <laughs> a little sidebar on that, man. On 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 even the the relational piece with you know your your father and you as a forty year old you know man who you know had you know some accomplishment, still needed to you know sort of find himself. For men, um, how important is that knowledge? of self, you know, knowing who you are, being able to identify with purpose and how kind of connected is that to one's dad? A few a few weeks ago on the dad tip, my 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 dad who, you know, we got a pretty decent relationship. It's gotten, you know, much better as I've be, been an adult. He called me man out of the blue during, you know, our Bucks championship playoff run. We just recently won the NBA championship in case you didn't know. Go Bucks. So, so, so during that time, he just gave me a call. I noticed a text. I called him back. Hey, pops, what's happening? And he was like, well, hey, man, just uh, want to give you a call, find out, you know, what, what, what you got going on today. And at the time, I had just gotten back, actually, from uh, Chicago doing some stuff with my father-in-law, some brother-in-laws. We did, like, a little golf little couple of days. And I said, well, hey, I'm just back. I got to knock some stuff out today. Um, what's going on? He said, I just want to call, see if you want to go to breakfast or something. That had never happened before, you know, in my life. And it, it did something to me on the inside. Like, oh, he, Pops want to hang with me, you know? I said, well, hey, I can't do it today, Pops. But tomorrow, though, if you have some flexibility tomorrow, we can rock this thing off tomorrow morning. Okay, cool. We did it. So it just really, it showed me, you know, I'm a husband. I'm a father. My son just turned 21. And, you know, I tried to, you know, connect with him on the father to son piece. What what was that like? You mustering up the courage to get down there to you know wrap back with your dad, and even with him doing the deflecting piece, hooking you up with family members, which actually turned out to be you know a godsend too, because it led you to some of the things you're involved with now. How do those things intertwine? Man, a man, a dude, a guy, even African American for that matter, finding himself and purpose and relationship with father. How does all of that kind of just, just play if you want to just share a little bit about that a bit. Well, um, you have taken a turn, Tim, and you've probably changed the tone and tenor of this entire broadcast at this point because we're about to get very personal. But before I do that, I'm remiss in my responsibilities as a diplomat to have not congratulated the city of Milwaukee and your bucks for uh, just a, a wonderful, rousing, foot stomping victory 
for the NBA championship. The reason I probably forgot that was because uh, Bahamian superstar DeAndre Ayton plays for the Suns. And so our native son. <laughs> our apologies. Our apologies. So I probably have a mental <laughs> block about it. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, to your question. I, I prayed for Suns. I prayed for Suns because the way I understood life and, and with the limited information I had, daughters just seemed very difficult. And I knew from the perspective of a black male, I wanted to pour into my boys what had not been given to me. I wanted to be there for them. I wanted to be present and available. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be a guide, a teacher, a mentor. I, I It burned in my soul to do that. And the good Lord answered my prayers. And I have three beautiful boys, 27, 24, and 20. And so I don't think that I summoned any courage um, to go visit my father. My doctor had made it clear at that time, as a black man, you need to understand your family history. I was um, kind of a victim of all the standard tropes and I wanted to do better. I wanted to not have them be in the position that I was in. There was um, some kind of project that uh, one of my kids was working on in school, a family tree project. And uh, you know, you remember moments like this and he brings home the tree and I can put apples a few on my mother's side, but I couldn't help him at all on my father's side. And I realized that they were about to go through everything I had gone through and I couldn't have that for them. I needed to do better for them. So he needed to have that conversation with me. We were going to have that discussion, whether he wanted to or not. And, and as it turned out, he, he became very good about the family history. And because I have met these relatives, I'm, I'm very proud to say, certainly uh, for myself, because I needed the knowledge and certainly my sons and, and their sons and daughters beyond them, we need to know. And so the, the genealogy question is very, very important. It was one of the first questions that the foreign minister asked me in applying to be honorary counsel. Tell us about your family history. So um, to your point about the good Lord's intervention on that, it, it just wound up working out. But I, I, I cannot have, we, we have zero progress, none. I tell them that all, my boys that all the time. If, if I ask you how you're doing today, and uh, um, July 24, 2022, I ask you that same question. You have any exact same conversation? We've made no progress. We have a short amount of time to get things done, to take what the good Lord has given you, where he's placed you, um, what you have in, in terms of knowledge and skill and ability and put it to some use and have some impact in this world. Um, I, just, I just don't feel like there's time to waste. So I, I, I can't, I, I, <laughs> the father-son thing, it's 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 a it's a trigger for me, you know, to use a word. Uh, the first time I ever watched Antoine Fisher, I broke down. Um, I can't listen to Cats in the Cradle without getting a little, you know, emotional. It's just it's just a thing that's in me when I look into my boys' eyes and I think about what what they can be and what they can do in this world, such as it is. The way it's 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 just it seems to be in tatters like never before. Um, I, I I want the absolute best for them. And when I see um, our young people being gunned down in the streets like dogs, it breaks me into pieces. And so this constant education and vigil that we have to maintain with our children, your father with a 21-year-old son, you know what that means, Tim. So so it's just, it, it, it was long-winded answer to your question, but it was just that my father had no choice. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Now that 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 that's that that's powerful, man. And there's a, a scripture that really kind of brought it to head to me that I you know kind of came across it was some years ago when I really you know saw the the just the profound nature of that relationship. There were two things that happened pivotal to me when I was about 20 years old. I had an older cousin and an uncle who I would you know kind of hang out with. They were you know kind of some mentors to me, and I remember I was kind of. Uh, talking with some consternation about my dad to one of them. And he said to me, he said, hey, man, first, don't look at your father as your dad all the time. See him as a man. And it was at 20 years old, I kind of got it. But as I've been living as a grown man myself, now with family, sons, you know, a son and, you know, a daughter, you know, children, it's like, okay, this is what he was saying. And so that that gave another layer of respect, you know, for me, for my dad. And then the other, the, the other piece was the scripture that says the glory of children are their fathers. And so when you have a child that's growing up absent a relationship with their dad, there's a level of glory that is being muted for the child. Because of the role that the father plays, the father gives the name, gives the identity. You talked about the genealogy. There's a lot of things that we get from dad. And if we don't know dad, there's a sort of a, a, a zombiness quality, you know, to us that we try to feel in other ways. And too often that can be destructive. So it's very, very powerful. I'm glad to hear that you were able to, to reconnect with your dad and how that's played a pivotal role in some of the things you are into, you know, today. Now, on that relationship between, you know, a guy from, you know, Chicago, you know, rocking out in the Bahamas, you know, I've heard over time that there is a, for lack of a better word, some sort of dislike or sometimes uneasiness between African-Americans and folks of African descent throughout the continent of Africa, the Caribbean and throughout the diaspora. Have you found that to be the case or is that more myth than fact in your experience in these international relations that you've been, you know, exposed to and active in? Tim, I would say that um, that that self-hatred is is unfortunately something that that has been born into our DNA. Um, to your specific question, it hasn't been a part of my experience. Look, I work with diplomats who represent. Um, the Republic of South Africa, the Union of Comoros, Ghana, Ethiopia, uh, Cape Verde, um, the African nations where we don't talk about that. We talk about how we're going to engage in our nation building and statecraft and help our respective diasporan peoples achieve um, what they wouldn't have had access to, but for our representation in this vast city where uh, it is segregated and doors are more closed than open. And unless you know, you do not know. I'll give you a perfect example of that. We celebrated the 48th anniversary of Bahamian independence um, a couple of weeks back. For the first time ever, we raised the Bahamas flag within city limits in the heart of downtown Chicago in Daly Plaza. We, we, I gave a speech. We had dignitaries. We played our anthem. And that flag went up between the uh, uh, American flag and the Chicago flag for all folks to see. Stayed up uh, the balance of the day from noon till 6 p.m. When I, the mayor had a reception for diplomats the following Monday, it's Friday the 9th, the following Monday, 
And uh, the Chicago Council, of course, represented by over 80 nations. Um, the black people are the, basically the ones I just named uh, who would be in that room. But the Africans came to me and said, we saw what you did in Daly Plaza. How did you get that done? They didn't know. They didn't know. So we need to be sharing information amongst ourselves because they have National Days, Independence Days in July as well. So July in Chicago and Daly Plaza next year, 2022, is going to be filled with culture and connection and, uh, and heritage. The, the Bahamas is not uh, geographically a country uh, uh, of the uh, Caribbean, but we share all of this and we share that DNA as damaged as it, as it is and has been. So I can't speak to what is in people's heads, hearts, minds, and spirits about um, who is really African or who is really black or any of the things that continue to separate and divide us, who has the better hair, who's light or dark, or any of these things that, that, that we, we have to stop. Um, all I can tell you is uh, if, if you're not interested in working together, I, I just can't work with you because, again, I'm on the clock. Time is ticking and it's running out. So, so, so that's what we tend to concern ourselves with from a diplomatic standpoint. How can we move all of our collective people forward? Yeah, yeah. And then the spirit of, of moving forward, and you mentioned the, the independence of, you know, the Bahamas from, you know, the United Kingdom. I think it was like in 1973 or so. Ha, 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 what are some of the things that, you know, the, the country, nation, state are, are doing to um, evolve from you know the colonial rule and colonial culture, maybe there could be some you know things that they are, are maintained just because you've just been involved and integrated with that for such a long time. But in the the notion of independence, what are some things? Are there concrete things that have been done to say, hey, this is us, this is our identity? What does that look like for a relatively recently independent you know land or territory? I'm glad you used that word recently. That's a very important and pivotal word in your inquiry. Think about the United States of America that would have been its 48th year of independence as we just recently celebrated 245 some odd and look at where we are in relation to where we should be. The Bahamas is a young nation. It is a growing nation. We're gonna light up this city the world's going to be lit up in Bahamian colors for our 50th celebration. The world celebrates in the Bahamas. The world escapes in the Bahamas. The world comes to that country, to the Commonwealth, to enjoy the warmth of our shores and the love of our people. And they leave better than they came in. And, and that's what we're known for. So, so certainly, and, and we looked for that after the devastation of Hurricane Dorian, we looked for the world to support and the world was very helpful in, in relation to our time of need. So um, I think with respect to the British, the so-called British empire and what they did to this world, um, we it takes a long time to come up and out of that kind of thing. And again, setting foot on that soil for the first time, I did feel at home. I saw my people, I, I, I saw, you know, figuratively, figuratively and literally, those are my people, same bloodline, same DNA, um, same origins. So that was uh, a very special thing. Then while you're having that feeling, you see black people on the money. 
seeing black people on money does something to you too. That's our, our exchange. It, I can't explain what that does to you. When I'm giving, uh, I like to give out the Bahamian dollar because people don't have it. If they've been down there, maybe they didn't keep it or they didn't get the significance of it. I stress the Bahamian dollar with the first prime minister of a free and independent Bahamas, Sir Lyndon Oscar Pendling, on that on that bill. That's an important thing. And I don't want people to bypass that, given what we're with, with, with the $20 bill here. So, so it's a young nation and we have to learn how to work together and we have to learn how to govern ourselves and one another. And we, we are in a time of great change, not only uh, politically and, uh, and, and, and spiritually, I think in a lot of ways, but just in terms of the climate science. And, and I, I keep referencing Dorian because that was really a turning point in relation to, I mean, if you weren't paying attention to what was going on, that monster category five sat over the country for two, almost two days straight and, and, and created untold devastation that literally changed the geographic face of the country. No one would have been able to figure that out, but, but battling back from that, because that happened in late 19 and then COVID happened last year as we are all painfully aware. So how do you govern through that as a young nation with young people? 65% of the population in the Bahamas is 35 and under. Most of the people governing are, are a little bit older, let's say. So you have to be in touch with young people and you have to give them the opportunity to see their future in the nation. Uh, the Bahamas, uh, um, you know, we, we, we don't have sports teams, you know, football teams and baseball teams and things. So you tend to root for what's closest. So there's, there's a death matches going on about American football teams and American baseball and American basketball and all this kind of stuff. We have 14 athletes uh, that are competing in the Olympics um, for the next couple of weeks. And that's, that's, that's profound and powerful. Um, and, and, and we're talking like world-class, we're talking about people that could be in contention. Our, our 400 meter quarter miler won the 400 in, uh, in uh, 2016. So, you know, we can be right up on the world stage and do what we need to do. Our four by four beat the USA in 2012. So again, we're, we're a little nation, but we got a, a lot of noise, a lot of power. Don't sleep on the Bahamas. Correct. But, but again, a, a young nation and you, you want young people again, to have a vested stake in the future of the country. You don't want them to feel like they have to go get educated elsewhere. And you know what happens when you leave, it's hard to come back. And, and so um, in, in terms of that, uh, um, that feeling, that, that youngness, um, we, we, we have a very long road and uh, we have a lot to accomplish and a lot to get done. But in terms of governance and leadership, uh, the leadership has to make sure that the young people have a vested stake in it and they want to be there. They see the opportunity. They know they'll be able to prosper, raise their families and continue on for generations. And that's 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 the way I think about it, at least at the moment. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, that, that's interesting and, and very, very powerful with regards to the significance of the currency, uh, knowing what the demographics of the, the land is and planning for a multi-generational, successful, prosperous Future. There was a guy a few years ago, one of my older cousins had a good friend that he, you know, his best friend throughout high school and stuff that decided shortly after college and graduating, you know, from medical school, you know, he's a medical doctor that he wanted to have his kids and family grow up, he's an African-American guy, in an environment that really reinforces the greatness of who they were 
and R. So he moved from America to, I think, Trinidad and Tobago to be able to be immersed in a culture where the leaders, the achievers, the currency was was black, you know. And so that is a very, very powerful, you know, thing to experience. You also mentioned the impact of the, you know, climate and geology going on. As an executive with a utility and a, a major company that's 100 plus years you know, old in its existence, what do you see the future of energy being? We've seen in presidential elections here in the U.S. talk about, you know, moving from coal and going to solar and wind turbines and all that kind of stuff. Then you also have this tug of war on the notion of global warming as well and correlative legislation associated with that, depending upon what side of the fence you're on. From your experience, uh, both from the professional perspective as well as your diplomatic, you know, dealings, uh, what's your take on the future of energy and the whole global warming piece? Is that like a, a, a for real thing that we're dealing with, seeing these powerful uh, storms and, and, and stuff like that? What 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 are we dealing with here? Well, well, I... I... I think you're dealing with people who either believe in science or they don't. You're dealing with people who either understand that you need to be vaccinated uh, if the vaccine is available in a pandemic or they just don't believe it. People that uh, understand the utility and the value of wearing masks or they try to make it a political issue. Um, you're, you're on board with it or you're not. You're thinking about what's going on in a critical manner or you're not. You're observing what's happening all around you or you, you are turning a blind eye to it because it doesn't fit your narrative. So, I mean, the, the, the fires out West have created their own weather system. More do you need? I just mentioned Hurricane Dorian, uh, um, a, a devastating and, and um, unprecedented weather event, a category five that sat in, in the same spot for almost two days and changed the ge geographic face of a country. Um, we had a, a storm in the city last August that contained 13 tornadoes within the storm. I pay attention to this stuff more because um, uh, working for the utility and the role I serve, you also have what they call storm duty. So um, if, uh, if the storm is particularly um, uh, um, impactful, dangerous, uh, um, um, it, and it knocks out a, a great number of customers, then we have to get all of our experts together and we have to work on restorations as quickly as possible. People are not going to be in the dark. So we, we've got teams put together. We have an organized operation, just like uh, any, any control center, emergency command, and all of our folks are activated and they get on the process of getting poles back up and, 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 uh, and, and wires back in place and power back on for people. You look at what happened in Texas in February to your question about what needs to happen in terms of the future of energy. Investments need to be made in the grid. Investments need to be made in the system. Um, the reason why ComEd is operating at a world-class level is because a decade ago, we understood what we needed to do after a particularly heinous storm knocked out over a million customers, and they were out for some time. We weren't doing everything that we could do and, and all of the leadership collectively got together and said, you got to fix it. So, so that's where our journey to excellence kind of in the modern era began uh, with respect to what we see as the future of energy. You have to make these investments in Texas. 
Um, it was, you know, it's Texas. We don't want to be regulated. Don't tell us what to do. We're not going to invest. They get a system coming through that 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 we would deal with in a normal weekend and it knocks them out completely and they become an international story of their inability and inefficiency to simply restore the power the first order of business for any energy company is make sure that your grid is resilient make sure that it is reliable and that the lights can be on fundamentally then you can start talking about interconnection of uh, solar and renewables and things uh, in order to give people the options that they seek in the modern world as fossil fuel plants go away um, and as the environmentalists, environmentalists call for that and, and the um, and the elimination of, of gas as well, natural gas as well. So, um, as you know, as far as what we're, we're trying to do, we are trying to work with with every interested and invested stakeholder in what that future looks like. And I would add equity is important uh, whenever they make these huge changes uh, to systems, whenever they build, uh, whenever they're talking about these massive undertakings and investments and projects. People that look like us are left out. So if there's going to be new technology, and by the way, that would include clean transportation, because if you're talking about um, um, how we're affected in, in urban environments, uh, I, I want to see clean buses, okay, electric buses. I don't want to see, again, kids standing at the bus stop with dirty smoke going back and forth and then breathing that in uh, uh, in, in the daytime and the nighttime. Um, certainly, we can do better with that. Clean transportation is a part of that mix as well. And um, if you have uh, access to these vehicles, these new vehicles, then folks who live in these disadvantaged areas need to be involved with um, with the adoption of those vehicles. They need to be involved with the um, with the infrastructure development. Um, they need to have as much opportunity to be in the discussion about how we move this forward uh, as possible. If they're building solar farms then people who look like you and I need to be involved in those construction jobs and in those projects. And that's what the future should look like if people are talking about it all. Talk about that other thing that sometimes people talk about last or they forget about. And that's equity for those who have not been involved prior to this time. Mm, mm. Amen and amen again to all of what you said. You as an African-American man that has been very, very you know, successful and varied in your career trajectory have been, uh, I guess, privy to some insights and some conversations that the masses may not have been. And it sounds like you've also been an advocate for the door being open and more folks, you know, kind of coming in. So following the George Floyd murder, there was a clear clarion calls across the spectrum from corporate America to government to the nonprofit sector regarding systemic improvements on the equity tip to diversity, equity and inclusion uh, throughout the environment and social structure. Have you seen tangible evidence of progress in these areas or has that up to this point primarily been lip service that yet that is yet to you know bear more substantive fruit? Tim, I, I can't speak for other entities in corporate America. I can only talk about where I work. Um, I can tell you that um, just doing simple Internet searches last summer with with all that was troubling us, uh, 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 a recurrent nightmare that that we have had in this country. Um, there were um, uh, uh, entities where you would open their uh, landing page and they would have a Black Lives Matter banner there. I'm going to I don't I was kind of half paying attention to that. You noticed it because they were all doing it. 
So I don't know when exactly they came down, but I don't see any Black Lives Matter banners on these sites anymore. I don't remember seeing them beyond a couple of weeks. So, you know, here we go again. Um, you get to use that and you get to make some money because people feel maybe uh, uh, they well, they actually care about us and our plight and our cause. They care about this uh, uh, recurring nightmare. They care about this tragedy. Who cares would have been reflected in any of them having a banner up July 24, 2021. I don't see that. So as far as ComEd is concerned, the group of uh, African-American leaders at the company got together and we started talking about what we saw all around us. And we went back to our black employees and we said, what's on your mind now? And they were very clear right out of their mouths. Start talking to us about opportunities within the company. There's a need for internal workforce development. There's a need to address promotion and performance evaluation practices. There's a need to improve representation and leadership positions. There's a need for more dialogue across all departments and all levels. You have to educate managers and coworkers on how to communicate with each other. And we need to understand the issues faced by people who look like us. Right. They gave us that. And that was really all we needed to start a dialogue amongst ourselves and say, well, what do we need to do? And we proceeded to meet every week, Monday night, 6 p.m. Central Time, at least an hour, if not more. It didn't matter what your Monday looked like. You knew at six o'clock you were going to be engaged in this conversation with the leadership to talk about how we're going to deal with this because we're going to deal with it. We came up with a platform that is related to some of the things that I, I talked to you about, um, ongoing dialogues, metrics, putting DEI goals in uh, leadership. Um, uh, individual development plans, which means you, you will be graded, evaluated, and compensated based upon your ability to make these things happen and meet these goals. ComEd is doing the work. I know that because I'm in on it every single day. And uh, I'm, I'm one of the, the, the co-leads on, um, on the, uh, the committee that's evaluating equity in talent. And so we, we have a, um, a group of directors and we just got approval by our CEO and leadership to proceed on some things we want to have in place by the time the next evaluation period comes in at the end of the year. So we don't have a lot of time, but we know what we want to do. And we have um, executive level sign off. So we're moving forward. ComEd continues to move forward. You don't hear about it. It isn't something that's publicized. We don't have to put up banners. We just got to do the work. I hope that that's what's going on in other corporate entities, even if we don't see it that they're doing the work. I've been around. I don't have a lot of faith in that. I, 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 I don't know, but, but I know what I can control and I'll be working on that from this point forward. Excellent. Excellent, man. I appreciate that. And uh, I can see when you talk about no time to waste, you ain't playing no games. This is really, you know, real to you. And that's refreshing to hear that you are putting, you know, your money where your mouth is literally, just the last few questions, man, I'll, you know, let you go, won't monopolize all of your time today uh, with you guys putting forth these, you know, career trajectory and these tracks and pathways for folks on the workforce development tip. Uh, what would you uh, advise for those that might be interested in pursuing a career in government relations, uh, international diplomacy and or the utilities piece. It seems like there is some points of intersection with all of those, given the communicative 
aspects to all of them. What would be the ABCs and one, two, threes if you can give, you know, a, a quick, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that. That'll set you on the path and then you can go ahead and go on for those that want to pursue a, one of these sectors in terms of their career, career pathway. Tim, I, I think. I think there's this um, far flung notion of diplomacy as something that is uh, the exclusive domain of, of ambassadors and the like. To be candid with you and your audience, I didn't know what an honorary consul was until 2012. I knew what an ambassador was. I had a, a vague familiarity with the council general, but but the honorary council was just completely foreign to me. And yet, to your point, relationship building and management, being a person of, of what, what I'd like to believe is merit, trustworthy, um, having integrity, these are the tenets of diplomacy. And in the end, it's just about, you know, any any diplomat worth his or her salt will tell you at its core, it's about respecting the, the culture and the um, the people of 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 another nation about which you you may not be unfamiliar or know anything. You pay them deference and respect because they they are different from you and you want to learn about the, the colors of their flag or their coat of arms or their symbols or their customs or their practices. You, you meet new diplomats and the first thing you knew, the first thing you do is that you exchange gifts as a sign of respect. And so this everyday kind of diplomacy, we, we um, you know, and I can't speak what would work for other people. I can to that, but, but certainly what's worked for me is, is in life is not reacting, but responding. Um, I don't know what anybody else is going through especially with the couple of years we, we, we got under our belts now. So I'm trying to walk in stores and be cool. I'm trying to be in traffic and be cool. And I see people's tensions and you can feel it in the air. And I think about the tenets of respect. And I think about my fellow human beings and what they're going through, knowing what I'm going through, knowing what I've seen. And, and I'm, I'm going a long way around. I know, but I'm getting to your question. Um, so when I look at how to be successful, it's got to involve other folks. I didn't have a skill set where I could just be a loner or sit in front of a computer or do things that didn't require any other any interaction with other human beings. People had to be a part of that process by nature, slightly introverted, little arm's length. But that's, you know, how I grew up. That's re directly related to not having a father around and, and being a little closed off and trying to make it all on my own. But but you can't do that without other people. And and being in in many cases the only black person in the room from time to time, there were just customs and values and understandings and things I had to have of the other people I was trying to work with. We are doing a lot of work with that as black people a lot more than other groups trying to find out and learn about us as opposed to culturally appropriate uh, what's popular in our community at any given time. Um, I wanted to learn because I knew it would be important to work with folks. So I was already doing, I was already examining and exploring and trying to execute the tenets of diplomacy. So when it, when it dropped in my lap, it just became a natural thing to follow through with. Relationship building and management though, that's a science that, that, evolves and I learn how to do every day. In in terms of government relations you asked about, a lot of people don't know who their 
state reps and state senators are? No clue. They're assembly, they're aldermen. They got maybe a mayor. Um, they don't have uh, any of the mayor's agency heads. Uh, they maybe got a president, perhaps a vice president. You start getting into the cabinet, people start dropping off. Your conversation, if you are interested in government, starts locally with who is representing you and what their issues are and what they're fighting for, for their constituents. If you were one of their constituents, get to know them, go into their office, schedule a time, sit down and ask those questions, have a conversation. You want to get into government work? You want to um, um, have a career there? Work on a campaign or two. Understand what your issues are and what's important to you and what you're fighting for and find out who's allied with that and help those people get elected to public service, to public office. Uh, once you do that, you're, you're in. Then you just figure out which way you want to go with it as you continue to build and maintain meaningful relationships. You might get the bug yourself and decide, maybe I should be a state senator. Maybe I should be a state representative. Maybe I should run for Congress. Maybe I should um, dedicate some time to this level of service so that I can help more people, so that I can get this bill passed. And you don't have to have the seat to get bills passed. That's what lobbying is. You can register. You can go down. You can talk to members of the General Assembly. Um, you can be a constituent. You can go to your state house. You can go to your city hall and you can have these conversations. But you have to know who these people are and you have to engage them accordingly. That's what leads you to to understanding it better and perhaps having uh, the opportunity to 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 work in the field. As far as utilities are concerned, science, technology, engineering and math, even in my job, which is just managing the relationships with the elected officials. Uh, there is a lot of math, brother, a lot of math. Lots and lots of math and, and numbers and things, and that is not my strong suit. So I am forced to break my brain in half on a daily basis, not just Thursdays or Fridays when we're having a meeting. I got to do this long before the meeting ever occurs. There is lots of math. So, again, when you're talking about the utility of the future, when you're talking about the, the energy infrastructure and grid of the future, you want to be knowledgeable in what these utility operations are all about. How do the lights come on and how do they stay on? And how do we keep them on through everything we're seeing with the changes in in in, in impacts in terms of the climate science? Mm, awesome, man. Thank you so much for that sage advice. I mean, you you laid it out as uh, the Hall of Fame radio announcer Joe Madison would, would say as the, the goats can eat it. You know, <laughs> put it so, so tactful in bite-sized chunks that it's readily applicable for anybody to just pick up and follow this path and get to that destiny that they are so, so looking for. Last piece for you, man, and I'll let you go. Um, how, if a person wants to get in contact with you, what is the best uh, way to get in contact with you and any parting words for our listeners that you'd like to share? Absolutely. And thank you, Tim. And thank you for the opportunity to speak anytime that you have a chance to share. I don't consider myself. You, you're very kind uh, in terms of wisdom. Just the mistakes I made this morning would tell me that there's there's a lot of work to do on the wisdom. But the mistakes every day are a part of the experience. And if you learn from them, you don't have to repeat them. And um, I think I think it was Mandela that said that. Right. I don't I don't um, win. I said I either win or I learn, I don't lose. Right. So, so, so that's what the day has to be. Um, I, I, in, in, in terms of um, just parting words, well, let me, let me ask, answer your first question first. 
I, I can always be found at uh, Facebook, Bahamas Honorary Council Michael C. Fountain. Easiest way, Bahamas Honorary Council Michael C. Fountain. Um, the uh, office number for the consulate is 312-214-7677. And uh, parting words are simple. I, you know, get vaccinated, wear a mask, you know, take care of yourselves and, and take care of one another. It, 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 the further away we get from that, the further away we're going to get as a society from anywhere we want to be. And this this endless nightmare, it, it it can end. We have the opportunity and 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 the responsibility to 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 move that forward. I'm an old track man, and uh, the the four by four relay was the race. And, and 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 when you're carrying that baton on your leg, you know what it is you're supposed to do. And uh, you know, if you're behind, you got to get to the front. And you know, if you're in the front, you got to keep us there. And when you hand out, unless you're the uh, the anchor um, and bringing it home, your job is to is to secure our place and and put it together and put the next runner in a great position. So I would love to see us put the next group in a great position. And, and I think uh, it, it's up to us to do that. So please take care of yourselves and take care of one another. Right. Do what you can to help the team to win. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today, uh, Consulate Fountain. And uh, it was a pleasure having you on uh, on the show, man. I really appreciate your time and wisdom and the things you imparted today. So, folks, thanks so much for listening today. Uh, remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru Podcast, the Communication Guru Podcast. And also be on the lookout for the Morning Inspiration Vlog, which are inspirational words that are meant to put wind behind your sails on a daily basis. They can be found on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And finally, if you have a communication matter that you would like some assistance with, feel free to shoot me a line at Tim at Tim McMurtry International.com. Tim at Tim McMurtry International.com with a brief description of what your communication challenge is. And we can hop on a free 15 to 30 minute a discovery call to see if we can help you resolve that particular issue. So thanks again for joining us today. I appreciate your listenership and viewership. Until next time, blessing and increase to you. Bam.